If you have a Bible today, let's turn to Acts chapter 18. And, and listen, if you're here and, and you've never been discouraged, if you're here today and you have never felt that heaviness of doubt in your life, if you've never felt defeated in your life, then this is a good Sunday to take a nap for you because this one's really not for you. Today's a, a message for folks who understand what that feeling of defeat and discouragement and doubt is really all about. And those kind of words, defeat and doubt and discouragement, those aren't normally words that we associate with the Apostle Paul, is it? I mean, typically when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of words like brave and courageous and bold. But Paul was a person just like me and you, right? And, believe it or not, he faced his own fair share of dark times, of discouragement, feelings of doubt, and of defeat. But here's what we're going to see today from God's Word. In Acts chapter 18... God meets his faithful servant at a low point in his life, and God encourages his discouraged servant. And that's what we want to talk about today. How is it that God goes about encouraging his discouraged servants? Now listen, if you're discouraged today, or you're struggling with doubt, or have a sense of defeat in your life, if that's not a result of just serving the Lord, then I'm not really sure this message is for you. You could be struggling with those things today because you're not walking in obedience with the Lord. God does not encourage us in our disobedience. But if we're walking the way Paul was walking to honor Christ and to serve Christ, discouragement's going to come to even those kinds of people. How does God discourage his servants. Now, before we dive into how he does that for Paul, let's just kind of understand how Paul got probably to this place, this low place in Acts chapter 18. He's now been serving the Lord for about 20 years. So that's a lot of mileage that he's got on his life, right, by now. And he's gone through an awful lot. He's just about to complete, he will in this chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 18, he's going to complete his second mission trip. And all along that way, he's experienced all kinds of battles. He's tired in every way, physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He's fought physical battles. He's fought spiritual battles. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been left for dead. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. And then there's this constant pressure that he feels, a responsibility that he feels for all of these churches that God has started everywhere he's gone. For all of these new believers that he's watched come to faith in Christ. And when we get to Acts chapter 18, Paul has just walked 53 miles. Think about that. I don't know the last time you walked 53 miles. But here's Paul, 20 years into all of this. Busted up. And he walks 53 miles from Athens to Corinth. And as he approached this great city of Corinth, he must have felt like an ant that somebody just dropped an elephant on its dinner plate. How in the world do I take this on now? How am I going to handle something this big, something of this magnitude? 
by myself. We talked about Athens the last couple of weeks. You know, it was a place for thinkers. It was a place for philosophers. Corinth is a place for politicians, for businessmen. It's a place for prostitution. As Paul was approaching Corinth, the very first thing that he would have seen was this monolithic rock called the Acropolis that towered 1,500 feet above the city of Corinth. And on top of that Acropolis was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, also known as the goddess of love. More appropriately, we should call her the goddess of lust. In her temple, there at the top of Corinth, she had a thousand priestesses that served her in that temple. And every night from that temple, those thousand priestesses would descend down into the city of Corinth. And they would invite anybody that wanted to, to worship with them the goddess Aphrodite. And I think you would understand what I mean by that kind of worship. The city of Corinth was a city that had no shame. And Paul is there by himself to preach in that place and call people to repent and to trust Jesus Christ to be saved. Can you imagine how overwhelming this must have been? To an already tired, discouraged, weary servant like Paul. And all of these factors combined, I think, have Paul at probably what was his lowest point so far in his ministry. So how do you know that? Well, a few years later, he's going to turn around and write some letters to the believers in the city of Corinth. And I want you to see what he says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says to the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. We sometimes forget that about Paul. He says to the Corinthians, when I got to your city, I came to you weak. I came to you afraid. I came to you trembling. Can anybody relate to that? Have you been, or maybe even today, you're at a place today where you are afraid. There's something in your life right now. And fear has found a place in your life. You're weak, maybe, today. Timid, today. Paul is nowhere near at his best when he gets to Corinth. Some speculate that he's physically not well at all. Some speculate that the beating that he took in Philippi not long before this has created some complications in his overall physical well-being. That aside, he's alone. And he's been alone for some time. Silas and Timothy, his partners in the ministry, they have stayed back and Macedonia, back there around Philippi and Thessalonica and all those places. Paul, when we get here to Acts chapter 18, he is not at his best. But God is. God's still at his best. 
And maybe you came to church today and you're not at your best. God is. He's still at his best. Maybe today you're weak and timid and trembling or discouraged and doubting or feeling defeated. Not at your best, but God is. And if you're a servant of God, God stands ready today to do for you what he's about to do for Paul in Acts chapter 18. We want to see how God encourages today his discouraged servants. And in Acts chapter 18, God gives Paul three, three things. Number one, he gives friendship in life. He gives friendship. You're my brother. You're my friend. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Now look, I want, to, I want you to see this. I want you to see this servant of God that was at his lowest point, but I want you to see the sovereign hand of God at work for Paul's good. The way God was at work in Paul's life to bring encouragement to his discouraged servant here. As Paul gets to Corinth, there weren't a whole lot of good options for friendship. That's not a place that he would find people like-minded and like-hearted. But there was a couple that had just recently moved to Corinth. They were ran out of Rome by the emperor. He, in 49 AD, kicked all the Jewish residents of Rome out of that city. This couple had fled to Corinth. And now they're hustling to try to figure out, how do we make a life here? How are we going to establish our business? How are we going to survive in this new place? And one day, they just happen to meet this guy named Paul. Can I just tell you, there are no just happens in this world. God is at work behind all of this that is going on. And they meet Paul, and he's also a Jew like they are. He's also from out of town. There's a connection between them, and they strike up a conversation, and you can only guess what Paul wanted to talk to them about. And at some point, Paul might have asked them, so what do you, what do you guys do here in Corinth? Well, we make tents. And Paul goes, no kidding. Me too. If you didn't know that, that was Paul's side hustle. He was a tent maker. And probably at some point, Mr. Aquila and Miss Priscilla had a little private conversation by themselves and said, hey, we got a little extra room in our apartment and we could use some more help. So what if we give Paul some place to stay and he works with us in our business? Do you see God at work here? In the life of his discouraged servant here, God is providing partnership and friendship. And just like that, Paul's got a roof over his head. And he's got new friends in his life. God did that for Paul. Don't think God does that for everybody. But for his faithful servants, God does that. He is faithful to encourage his discouraged servants, especially when they need it the most. But look, God wasn't through encouraging Paul. Look at verse 4. 
The Bible says each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. He's in the city, man. He's getting after it every Sabbath, sharing the gospel with people. And it's hard. He's lonely. But look at verse 5. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, they rejoined him. Look, his two old friends are back in his life now. Amazing. The three amigos now, they're back together. Suddenly, Paul is surrounded by two new friends and two old friends. How good is God to encourage his discouraged servant? To have new friends and old. What a gift from God, by the way, to have both. New friends and old friends. Some of you haven't made a new friend in a really long time. What are you doing? Come on. Let's get out there. Let's make some new friends. And some of you haven't spent any time with an old friend in a long time. What are you doing? Do you know how hard it is to come by old friendships? What a treasure those are. Let me tell you about friendship. You're my brother, you're my friend, you're my beginning, and my end. But let me speak about friendship for just a moment and why we need friends, both old friends and new friends. Number one, because life was meant to be shared. Right? Think about this. In the garden, everything was good that God had made until we get to chapter 2, verse 18. This is even before sin came into the world. Something was deficient. God looked at Adam and he knew that it was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. Think about that. Even in paradise, in that garden, with God present, man still had a need for friendship. Man still had a need for companionship. And so what did God do? He made a companion in Eve for Adam. Look, this is how God made us. God made us to need other people besides God himself. We're relational people because God is a relational God. God is a God of relationships. Look at the triune God. He is Father. He is Son. He is Holy Spirit. What is that? That is a perfect relationship between those three parts of the triune God. You see, relationship is at the very core of who God is. We learn so much about who God is and the character of God from our earthly relationships through the friendships that we get to enjoy in this world. God intends for us to share our lives in friendship. Now, that may not sound real spiritual today, but here's what I believe. We'll be more effective at sharing the gospel if we'll learn how to be good friends. We're going to be better missionaries if we learn how to do friendship. We're going to be more effective disciple makers if we know how to do friendship. The second reason that friendship is so important is we need friendship to make it through life's troubles. We're going to have a hard time making it in this world without friends. Without people who love us, and care about us, without us loving and caring about other people. Can you think back on times in your life when just the right moment, God put a friend exactly where they needed to be at just the right time. At your darkest moment, your most doubt-filled moment, your most defeated moment, God was faithful to bring a new friend. 
or to return an old friend into your life that helped you share that burden that you were going through. These are good gifts from God. How does he encourage his discouraged servants? He gives them the gift of friendship. Why is friendship important? Number three, to guard us against self-deception. To guard against self-deception. Everybody in this room has got a blind spot. Do you know that in your life? There's some things in your life that you don't see about you, but others can see it. Your friends see it. And good friends, they care enough to say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. I don't know if you're seeing this from this perspective or not. And we need friendships to help us see things in a different way. Friends can help us see the world and ourselves from another perspective. Now look, if you need a friend today, here's how you do that. Go be a friend. Go be a friend to somebody. And when you go be a friend to somebody, do not try to be interesting. Be interested. You with me? Nobody really cares how interesting you are. Friendships are built on, I'm interested in you, in your life, your story, and what the Lord is doing in your life. This is one of the ways that God encourages his discouraged servants. He gives them friendship. He does that for Paul. Here's the second thing he does for Paul and for other discouraged servants, how he encourages them. He gives fruit in the ministry. He gives fruit in the ministry. There's effectiveness some might call it success, which is a weird word in this context, but you understand. The last part of chapter 5 says, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. Let me remind you, God encourages faithful servants. Do you see that? He spent all his time. Some of you want to be encouraged today, but God's not being served in your life. There's a reason God is showing up in big ways in Paul's life, okay? Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and he went to the home of Tatius Justice, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Think about that. They didn't want to hear the gospel in the synagogue. And how far did Paul have to go to find somebody that was interested in the gospel? Right next door. Hey, you know what? Where God has you going might be right under your nose. The purpose, the call that God has in your life may be just as close as right next door. Right across the street. But God didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. Crispus. That's a great name. I don't know why. It just sounds cool. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Watch this. This is huge. He's the leader of the synagogue. They just kicked him out of the synagogue. But the leader of the synagogue and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. That's a huge win, is it not? That's like you just captured the general of the opposing army is what kind of happened right there. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, gives his life to Christ, and everybody in his household does the same, and that's not even the end. It says many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. See, when you're a discouraged servant of God, this is how he encourages you. He gives you fruit in the ministry. 
There is nothing for a servant of God that is more encouraging in their life than to get to watch God change somebody else's life. The first time I got to lead anybody to Christ was in 1993, almost 30 years ago. And across these 30 years, man, I have failed God plenty, but he's never failed me. And there was nothing in my life quite like that moment that I got to see from a front row seat, God changed somebody else's life. I knew in that moment that's all I wanted to do the rest of my life. I just wanted to have a front row seat to watch God change the lives of other people. And sometimes when I find myself discouraged or defeated or being overwhelmed with doubt, I go back to that moment. And then sometimes God recreates that moment. And he lets me see again him change another person's life. And every time I see that, it takes me back 30 years to that first time. And then I'm good to go for another 30 years. Like last Sunday, a young lady came down here at the end of the service in the second hour and gave her life to the Lord. I'm good to go for another 30. Nothing quite like that. This is how God encourages his discouraged servants. He gives them friendship. He gives them fruit in the ministry. And then thirdly, he gives them faithfulness in hard times. He's faithful to them. In their hard times. Look at verse 9. One night, while Paul's there in Corinth, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, he tells, tells him three things. Watch this. Three imperatives. Don't be afraid. Speak out. And don't be silent. Do you know why God told Paul, don't be afraid? Because he was afraid. Think about that. Do you know why God told Paul to speak out? Because Paul did not want to speak out anymore. Do you know why God told Paul to not be silent? Because Paul was ready to zip it and quietly just go about making tents for the rest of his life and live in peace. That's where he was. Paul was at his lowest And even the greatest friendships and even all the fruit in the ministry wasn't enough. God knew that what Paul needed in this moment most of all was God himself. God is far greater than any earthly friend. A personal walk with God himself is far greater than any fruit in the ministry. And God steps into Paul's life in a very special way. And what he needs the most, God gives to Paul. He gives him God and the faithfulness of God. He's giving his faithfulness to Paul in the midst of all this hard time that he's going through. And today he will do that for the faithful servants of his in this room too. He will do that. He has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. If you're walking in willful disobedience today to God, don't expect this from God. This is how God deals with those that are faithfully serving him. If you want to be where these blessings flow, 
today you got to get out of the septic tank of self. If you want this kind of encouragement from God today, you're not going to find it in a life that is absorbed with self. These kinds of blessings from God are found with people who have a heart to serve the Lord. Look at what God says next, verse 10. He says, I'm with you. You know why God told Paul, I'm with you? Because Paul was wondering, God, are you still there? You ever been there in your life? When the head hit the pillow and nobody else was around to fake it in front of anymore and you found yourself the deepest, darkest part of you just going, God, are you still close? Are you aware of what's happening here? God said, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. You know why God told him that? Nobody's going to attack and harm you. Because Paul was so afraid that there was more attacks coming and more harm coming. And he just doesn't know if he can take it anymore. But God gives Paul a promise. He says, nobody's going to lay a hand on you. No one will attack you. No one will harm you. And Paul must have held on to that promise. Do you know what it's like to hold on to a promise of God in your life? What promise from God are you holding on to today? I'm going to give you a few real quick that I hold on to. You can just write down book, chapter, and verse. I'll give you six. That'll give you one starting tomorrow, take you all the way through Saturday, one a day. All right? Now, some Bible nerds may say, well, pastor, you're pulling these out of context. These promises are for Israel, or these promises are for David. These promises really aren't to you. Well, listen, I'm all about context. Y'all know that. That's why sometimes we spend years in an entire book of the Bible. But sometimes when the bullets are flying over my head, I don't have time for an in-depth Bible study to nail down all the context. I just need to grab a word from God in that moment when I'm in the trenches like that. And maybe it's true that that exact promise wasn't written to me, but I do believe it was written for me. And so I want to grab on to that. Now look, when the bullets aren't flying, we'll sit down and we'll do an in-depth Bible study and we'll understand all the context and all that kind of stuff. But when the heat is on, context still matters, yes, but grabbing a word from God that reminds me of the character of God is what I need in that moment, okay? So I love you Bible nerds, but let's relax a little bit, all right? I'll give you six. Here they are. Number one, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Is that anybody here today? Anybody carrying heavy burdens today? God said, I will give you rest. But you got to come to me. That means you can't keep coming to you yourself in that spiral of selfishness. God says, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. There's a word. Here's another. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who, who do what? Who search for you. 
Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, I know some of you are flinching. Hang on, come on. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. What are you doing? You're praying. Who are you seeking? Seeking God. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Do you see the pattern here? It's people who faithfully are looking for the Lord, serving the Lord. God is blessing. God is encouraging. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I'll never abandon you. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When God has a discouraged servant, This is how he encourages. He gives friendship. He gives fruit in the ministry. He gives us faithfulness. That's what he's doing for Paul. Look at verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I'm with you and no one will attack or harm you. Watch this. For many people in this city belong to me. Understand this. That wasn't true at the present moment in Paul's eyes. There wasn't a bunch of people in Corinth that belonged to God. But God is not a God that is locked into this moment. He's an eternal God. Past, present, future is all equally before him. He was looking through the corridors of time, and he already knew everyone that would be saved in that city of Corinth. And God was telling Paul what was going to happen before it was going to happen. Paul, we're not quitting. We're not backing up. We're not backing down. Because there's a whole bunch of people whose lives are going to be transformed in this city. Paul, understand this. I haven't only been faithful to you in the past. I'm going to be faithful to you in the future. Think about that. You might sit here today and be able to say, yes, God has been faithful in my past. Don't forget, he will be equally faithful in your future. You're freaking out about it. You don't know what the future holds, but God's already in it. He's already there. He already knows every single detail of everything that's going to happen in the days that you haven't even stepped into yet. Where you have not gone yet, he's already there. Verse 11, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half. Think about that. He's teaching the word of God. How good is God? Paul just needed to stay in one place for a little while. And that's not been possible through all these mission trips. The only way that's going to work is God is going to have to protect. And God is going to have to defend. And for a year and a half, Paul gets to stay in one place for one longer period of time. When his servants are discouraged, God gives them his faithfulness. Let me show you another way God was faithful to Paul here in Acts 18. Look at verse 12. But when Galileo became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. And Paul had to be thinking, God, you said said this wasn't going to go down like this again. You said nobody's going to harm me, God. Verse 13, they accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But 
Since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. Paul didn't even have to open his mouth. I think this is the first time in his career a government official actually defended Paul. Who did that? That's God. That's God being faithful to his discouraged servant. But watch this. The crowd is so angry that they cannot beat Paul. They turn on their own leader. His name is Sosthenes. Remember, Crispus is no longer the leader of the synagogue, right? He's been one to Jesus. Sosthenes is now the leader of the synagogue. That means he was probably, you might say, the prosecuting attorney in this case before Galileo. And all the Jewish people probably put the blame on Sosthenes for not presenting a compelling enough case before Galileo. And so they turn on Sosthenes. Look at verse 17. The crowd then grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and they beat him right there in the courtroom. And Galileo showed no attention. Poor Sosthenes, right? He wanted Paul to get a beating, but he gets the beating. It's a little comical, unless you're Sosthenes. (laughs) But how faithful is the Lord, right? Poor, poor Sosthenes. But before we close out today, I want to show you the rest of his story. Look, the very first thing that Paul will write a few years later in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Watch it. You tell me God's not faithful. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. You can't make this stuff up. This is incredible. How good is God? The very guy that was leading the charge to get Paul beat down and kicked out of Corinth is now right beside him as a brother in the Lord serving God in the ministry. If you're keeping account, that's two for two with synagogue leaders in Corinth. When that chapter began today, Paul was defeated and full of doubt. Nobody by his side, not a friend in the world, but God gave him new friends. And God gave him old friends. And God gave him a friend that once was an enemy. And God gave him fruit in the ministry. And God gave him the faithfulness of God. God does not forsake his own. And if you're a child of God today, And you're faithfully seeking to honor and serve the Lord Jesus. God stands today ready to encourage you at the point of your need. Listen to me. Open your eyes. Watch for friends that God is bringing to you. Watch for fruit that God's going to produce in your life. Watch for God putting his faithfulness on display all around you.
God, we bow our hearts before you today, so very grateful for who you are. Thank you for ministering and caring for Paul like you did and for having Dr. Luke write all that down for us today. Because some of us right now today, we feel like an ant who has just had an elephant dropped on our plate. Some are overwhelmed, some are discouraged, some are filled with doubt today. And God, I pray for those in this room and who are watching in other places today that can relate to what Paul must have felt as he walked into the city that day. Some of us are going to walk into a hard place tomorrow. Or in a moment, we're going to walk out these doors into some hard places. And God, I would ask that today you would open the eyes of your servants that we might see how you are at work to encourage your discouraged people. God, I pray for the people today that are disobedient servants. They're discouraged because they're not walking with you. They're discouraged because their life is not revolving around you. Their discouragement is not a result from living for you in a hostile world. Their discouragement is that they're grieving the Holy Spirit with selfishness in their lives. So I pray for your people, God, that maybe under the sound of my voice today who have been unfaithful to you. God, you would draw them today to turn and repent and become faithful followers of Jesus. And God, I pray for those today who maybe are more like Sosthenes. They think they are okay. But they need you, Jesus. They need to be saved. They need to be born again. God, I pray that anybody that can hear these words right now that does not know Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would grip their heart and draw them today to be saved. That they might know how faithful and good our God really is. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. Let's respond today in obedience. Let's sing, let's pray. Whatever that step of obedience may look like for you today, let's walk in that. Let's set our hearts on the Lord today. Think on how good and how faithful He truly is to His people.